chapter 22, and we'll start in verse 35. If everyone would please stand. In one of them, a lawyer asked him a question to test him. They're asking Jesus this question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 44, we see it says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. For he, if he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do you even, does not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning and we pray that you will help me to step away and allow you to unpack what you are trying to teach us through the book of Matthew this morning. And it is in your precious name that we pray. Amen. So, uh, have I told y'all before that I'm not a pastor? Have I said that? Okay. I like to always throw that disclaimer that way. I can lower the bar. It makes y'all think that I do much better. So, uh, so um, I love the movie Wizard of Oz, but mostly the reason that I love it is because I used to go to my grandfather's house, and we used to have these things called uh, VCRs. They're antique technology now, but um, if you find one, like, let me know, because I think I might want to grab one just in case one day. Uh, but um, but uh, nevertheless, though, and he used to have this huge entertainment center that was loaded up with movies. But it, it wasn't just if we were watching it on VHS tape. Uh, if it was on TBS, we watched The Wizard of Oz. I think it was like a big movie for him in his life, so he wanted it to be a big movie for us in our lives. And so I want to stop at that point of the story, and I want to kind of begin another story real quick so that I can kind of fill you in on why I'm even speaking about that. My dad, who is here today, he's right there if you want to visualize somebody when I'm telling the story. Um, does everybody know what I'm meaning when I say the facts of life or the facts of how we produce life? Okay. I'm not going to say it again. I don't want you to have a deep conversation with your children today, okay? I'll let you decide when that is. My dad's timing, however, to share with me this very important story uh, was never great. It was never in tune. Uh, if it was a song, it would be a bad one. And, 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 and so I always, he always said, I'm going to tell you about it now, okay? 
as if he was inviting me to tell him that it was okay, which it never would have been okay. And so I, uh, I began, we began our first journey with this when I was about 12. And my dad looked at me and he said, I'm going to tell you now, okay? And I said, I don't really think this is the right place. We were in the middle of TCBY. Like, there, there were like tons of families. I'm sure since everyone was of age in there, we could have gathered around and had a little small discussion group and worked out a lot of things and parents could have been in a better situation after that day. But at the time, it just didn't feel right. I didn't want to share my experience with them. And so the second time was when uh, my dad looked at me and he said, I'm going to tell you about it now, okay? And I said, please don't. We had just pulled up to the speaker at the Taco Bell drive-thru. <laughs> and uh, they, they are not known for their ability to get orders correct. And had any of that spilled out into the speaker, there's no telling what our tacos would have looked like that day. And the, he gave me a couple of years off. You know, no big deal. You know, I'm going to let you just kind of live life. And uh, so he does. And then one day he came up to me frantically as if it was the point of no return, had to tell me today. And I simply replied, Dad, that day has passed. Uh, you know, no need. You know, I, you know, I'm old enough now. I was literally walking down the aisle to marry my wife that day. <laughs> but I guess it was a box that he had to check off, you know, and I just said, no, you know, you had, that ship has sailed, you know, and so, um, but as grandparents in the room, uh, and for some reason when I start to think about this, I think of Mr. Charlie Stutter every time, I just can't get him out of my mind, uh, but as grandparents in the room, you know what it's like when your kids are doing something with your grandkids that maybe you don't 100% believe is correct, or maybe you think it's time to to touch the issue, it's time to work on things, so on and so forth, it's time to, to get after it. Well, it always starts as like a one-line zinger, just so your kids know that you're not exactly lining up with where they are, okay? And then it becomes a short discussion between grandparent and parent. And then grandparents finally, when they get their grandkids alone, they just take matters into their own hands. Well, as I told you, my grandfather often loved to watch movies with me, and it was most of the time The Wizard of Oz. However, I complained about going to church one Sunday evening, and so my parents sent me to my grandfather's, and I guess he was upset with my mom and dad for not sharing with me what needed to be shared with me, and so he decided to take matters into his own hands. So as the movie came on, I thought, ah, here we go, Wizard of Oz. But had it been Ben-Hur, it would have been okay had it been anything. But the National Geographic logo comes on. And it's the mating rituals of the African bamboo. <laughs> it was the longest hour of my life. And I am not exaggerating. His exact words to me when we got done watching the movie, I thought you might want to watch that. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I need therapy. You know, like, let's just put it this way. I didn't miss another Sunday night church service until I finished going to that church. But I love The Wizard of Oz. 
I don't like it because of the story. I don't like it because it was, you know, one of the first black and white color transition movies. I don't like it because it won awards. I don't like it because it, you know, had anything. I like it because every time I see it come on TV, it reminds me of my grandfather. I can see myself sitting uh, on the floor in his room, his living room, and watching the movie. I can't watch one second of the movie and not think about him or the family that surrounds him. And we lost my grandfather in 04, and so it means even more to me now. You know, and, and I remember uh, trying to let Aiden watch the movie for the first time because I hope now that it means as much to him as it does to me. And uh, it, when I was with you guys three weeks ago, uh, for those of you that weren't here, I'm going to kind of recap because today's kind of building upon what we talked about that day. I share with you my testimony and I share with you about my life. I share with you the doubts that I had you know, growing up, and I share with you about my uncle stepping in and being a major influence in my life. And I basically essentially wrapped it up in saying this, at the end of our lives, what we will be known or what will be said or what will be down to us and what general people will know about us is the day that we were born, a small little one-inch dash, and the day that we die. And I urged you to be the ones to make that one inch not be nowhere, not be anywhere close to being big enough to describe what your life did and the people that you impacted. One inch could not sum up what you did. I urged you to make your life count. Today I'm going to talk to you about holding on to the things that last and holding on to what matters and making things last. As I told you, this movie is very big to me, and I want to go through this movie with you today and kind of talk about it just a little bit and share with story time. This is the main character of the movie. This is Dorothy, 10,000 points for whoever can tell me her character's last name. Gail, you are correct, 100 Ding, 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 ding. So this is Dorothy Gale. Dorothy Gale is from Kansas, okay? And she lives with her aunt and her uncle, and she's kind of a rebellious young lady. You know, she's done a couple of things that have happened, you know, that have caused a little frustration for her aunt and her uncle. And she kind of wants to move away from home. She wants to get away. Well, a couple of scenes happen, and up to this point, the movie is in complete black and white. Then it's a twister, it's a twister, it's a twister. And then all of a sudden, Dorothy's house smashes upon one of the wicked witches. And she comes out, and everything becomes color. I remember watching it for the first time and thinking, oh my goodness, here we go, here we go. And then being so excited when I actually saw the door open, and there was color in the movie. And so... Um, then Dorothy, uh, Jerry Dorothy meets this next character, and she is the good witch of, I believe, the North. Uh, and so this uh, lady uh, then gives her basically the ruby red slippers and explains to her everything. I have a theory, though. This is the true villain of the movie. Um, this person uh, knew all along that the ruby red slippers would lead to the way home and didn't bother to tell her until she went through drastic life-changing situations. So... <laughs> They could have saved all of us a lot of time and a lot of money, and I could have been outside playing. So, uh, <laughs> but nevertheless, maybe she wanted Dor Dorothy to learn something from the story. Uh, so she basically tells her, you know, you got to follow the yellow brick road. Okay, and so all of a sudden then they meet this next group of characters. Wait. <laughs> oh, what happened? Jerry's playing with the slides back there. Well, I, I really think that Philip looks good in red hair. Cute. 
And, and uh, Alan looks good with hair. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, but nevertheless, next slide. They, they come across the Lollipop Guild, okay? Uh, and so basically, they welcome you to Munchkin Land, Munchkin Land, and so on and so forth. And they tell her, follow the yellow brick road, follow the yellow brick road. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so she's following the yellow brick road to see the wonderful Wizard of Oz because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. All right, keep going. All right, so then she comes across this character here. The scarecrow, his job is pretty simple. He scares crows, okay? But yet, he longs for something deeper. He wants to have a brain, okay? So we listen to his song. We won't listen to it now, but he basically tells us what he would do if he only had a brain, okay? And then she, they go upon, and Dorothy says, hey, well, if the wizard's going to show me the way home, surely he will give you a brain. So these two embark on a journey. I don't know if you noticed, but actually the yellow brick road was where she met the scarecrow. For some way, they knew the exact right way to go. Okay? So uh, anyway, though, then they come across the next character here, the Tin Man. Okay? The Tin Man was outside chopping wood one day when it began to rain, and he became stoved up. But luckily, Dorothy and uh, the Scarecrow come along, and they give him some fresh oil, and all of a sudden, he's back to new. But there's one problem with the Tin Man. His master didn't build him a heart. No ticker. It's not there. So then all of a sudden then they say, well, if the, if the wizard's going to give us a, uh, give the scarecrow a brain and he's going to give Dorothy the path home, then surely he will be able to give you a heart. So then these characters head out and they go on and then all of a sudden lions and tigers and bears, oh my, they run across this next character, a lion. But he's not like the king of the, uh, of the jungle. He's a cowardly lion. He has no courage, two things that don't match up. So there we go again. Surely if the wizard will give us all the things we want, he will give you the things that you want as well. So they begin out on this journey, and they go, and they are getting ready, and they enter into the merry old land of Oz, and they stuff the scarecrow with straw, and they buff the tin man, and they get Dorothy ready. I think they were giving her the first mani-pedi. And, uh, and then they, they go about everything, and then they go in there and they see this great big head and the flames shooting up. And they're going about this and all of a sudden, you know, he says to them, if you want these things, then you need to go and get me the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West. So it's through this next part of the movie that we really begin to learn more about the characters that are inside of the movie. Essentially, though, they get the broomstick and they come back. You've got a scarecrow, you've got a tin man, you've got Dorothy, you've got uh, the cowardly lion, and you've got Toto. Out of all of them, the scarecrow gets a pass because he doesn't have a brain. It takes a poodle dog to realize that this wizard is not real. He's the man behind the curtain pulling levers and pushing buttons, and he looks something like this. You can go on to the next slide. Okay, so he looks something like this, okay? So they say, you're a bad man. And he says, no, I'm not a bad man. I'm a good man. I'm just a bad wizard. And so then he, he turns, and they still want the things that they were asking for. So he turns to the scarecrow, and he gives the scarecrow a diploma, okay? And then he turns to the tin man, and he gives him a heart-shaped clock. And then he turns to... Uh, 
the cowardly lion and he gives him a medal that symbolizes courage. And then he goes and he tells Dorothy, the only way that I can help you get home is to give you a ride home myself. So as Dorothy and him are trying to take off in the hot air balloon, Toto jumps out. She chases after him. Next thing we know, then the good witch comes down and says, hey, if you take the ruby red slippers that I gave you and tap them three times and say, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, surely you will be there. And so Dorothy wakes up from what is essentially all a dream. As we begin to look at the characters that are displayed in this movie, we begin to realize that the lion is often seeking courage. But what courage it must be to make new friends. What courage it must be to dress up as an army man and walk into the Wicked Witch of the West's lair. What courage it must take to even walk back in front of the Wizard of Oz. We often we look at the, at the Tin Man and his desire to have a heart and the symbolism that that encompasses. But yet if you watch the Tin Man throughout this movie, he is often the one that possesses the most protective instincts. He is the most concerned. He is the most compassionate. He is the most caring character in the movie. Often things that we symbolize with love. And then we turn, in turn symbolize with a heart. And then we look at the scarecrow. Go back and watch the movie. He's always the one saying, come on, let's go. He's part of plans. He jumps to action. He makes things happen. All things that we would say encompass a brain. But even the wizard admits to them as he walks out and gives them their symbolizing, a symbolism of acts. He gives them a diploma, a heart-shaped clock. He gives them a medal. And he gives them a way home, but he often tells them that the, the people that receive these things have no more courage, no more brains, no more kindness than you already possess. See, the thing about it is, is the wizard couldn't give them anything that they didn't already have. When we look at the Cowardly Lion's medal, we often think about the medals that we give out to soldiers for awards when they come back. But it is not the metal that we are concerned about. It is the actions that allowed that metal to come to be that we are concerned about. When we think about a diploma, what is it really? A carbon stock piece of paper, two-toned, with calligraphy writing that signifies that you did something on some day somewhere. But it's just a slip of paper. What is a heart? if you don't know love and kindness and compassion? What does it mean to be caring? What does it mean to have a heart if you don't care for others? See, it is not the awards or medals or accolades that we receive that make us a great person. It is the things that we do that warrant notoriety that make us great people. It's a soldier jumping out in bravery in war. It's our founding fathers standing around a table declaring independence. It is people being kind, paying it forward, paying for someone's meal, helping out a stranger, helping out the homeless, the poor, the needy. It's using your brain to come up with better ways to reach people and better ways to help people. That's what makes you a great person. Not a slip of paper, not a medal, 
not a heart-shaped clock. See, it is up to you to make everything that you receive in your life last. You can put your diploma on the wall and be proud of it, and you should be. But a million years from now, it won't be anything but a deteriorated piece of paper. But what will matter is what you made count through what you received through your education. The people that you impacted by what your institution gave you in that process. You can put your medals up and your trophies and your souvenirs and you can put them all in a display. But they will collect dust and they will tarnish and they will grow old. Their dates will be 10, 20, 30 years away. But what matters is that you held on to what counted, what last, and you made your life matter. Don't get me wrong, I'm not up here saying today that The Wizard of Oz is a Christian movie. I would never dare say that. I don't think it. And I don't think that the writers of this movie expected me to unpack this movie at some point in time in my life and unpack it in the way I do. But I'm telling you today that The Wizard couldn't give them anything that they didn't possess. And the same exists with us, that I believe that we are inherently born with everything that we need to follow the great commandments that Jesus Christ has laid out for us. I believe that we are inherently possess the ability to love, to show compassion, to seek joy, to seek happiness. I believe that we are born given the ability and privilege to seek these things out. And I believe that it is through our belief and faith in Jesus Christ that these things are renewed and made greater. When I often think about the situations that surround the movie, there's so many things that just continually come back to me about those situations. I can't get over the fact that he couldn't really give the scarecrow a brain. He couldn't really give the, the tin man a heart. He couldn't really give Dorothy even the way home. But yet when Jesus said that he loved us and he called us in John, and Jesus says to us in John that you are to love others as I have loved you. And they will know that you are my disciples. How? By the way you love others. Jesus has made no bones about it throughout the New Testament. That love is what conquers, love is what wins, and love is what is important. I showed you that video, and basically, essentially, that guy's taken off on a mission trip. But then he ends up next door. Because, see, there are people that are hurting next door that need just as much help as people in another country. There are people next door that are living in poverty, and there are people next door that may be rich but don't know joy and happiness. And oftentimes we say to ourselves, why hasn't God done something? Maybe you should look in the mirror and say, why haven't I done something? Because the something that God wanted to be done was me, and I haven't done it yet. Sometimes it's not that God is sitting around waiting for, for some magical thing to happen and then to step in and step down. He said, I created you and I gave you all the inalienable rights to love and show compassion and to reach your hand out and to give grace and mercy. I gave you all that. And then on top of that, I gave you my son that taught you that you must love your enemies. That you should turn the other cheek. 
that you should step down in the stone pit. I gave you all that. Now I ask you now to love your neighbor as you love yourself. We often seek validation for our abilities. Uh, this next slide is a picture of the line receiving the We can pass that one now. Uh, uh, there's the ruby red slippers. One more, Jerry. Uh, keep going, one more. There we go. This is a picture of me and a lady named Mabe that I met at CPYC. Okay? Mabe was diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer many, many years ago. And she opened up in discussion group about her story. She said that she stood beside the doctors and she told them that it is not my time to die. I want to live to see my child be 12 years old. I didn't ask why, she just shared that. And then she said, I, I want to be able to see my grandchildren. And she asked the doctor as he sat there and he told her, he said, my baby, you have stage four cancer. It's done. She says, I, I ask you to believe with me that it is not my time to die. Her son is, is now older and she has lived for quite some time. But she expressed to us that any day she could go. She could be gone. And she said, if I die today or if I die tomorrow, it doesn't matter. She talked about taking pictures with her, with her daughter-in-law so that when her grandkids come along that they can show her a picture, show them a picture of their grandma Mave. But she said, I know now that I've been given, you know, more than, than I have asked for. And she knows that any day it could be the last day. This next person uh, is uh, Tim Timmons. Uh, Tim Timmons is somebody who has greatly impacted me in my life. I could uh, share Tim's story, but I think that he can share it a little bit better. Uh, Tim was diagnosed with incurable cancer uh, 14 years ago. He has tumors that are weighing on his heart and his liver and his vital organs. Listen to what he has to say. years ago, I was having hot flashes all the time. Um, some would say it was menopause, but I, I would not because it's not even a word. Um, so I went and got checked out by the doctor. I will never forget how sobering that day was. Uh, Tim, you have an incurable cancer, um, and you probably have five years to live. Everything just stops at that point. It's been 12 years now, and uh, I'm still learning the verse that he gave me right at the very beginning. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. My story is not cancer. My story is the perspective through cancer. A daily walk saying, Jesus, what if you're real in the midst of my stuff? Three years ago, I was journaling like a good Christian boy should do, and I just sensed that you're in the preface of the second book in the trilogy of your life. And I thought, number one, that is so stupid. Uh, I love Lord of the Rings, but I'm probably making this up. Uh, I told my wife about it, but I just kept hearing it all week. And at that point, I got emails um, in the next weeks from all over the country. People said, Tim, you don't know me, but God told me to tell you that you're starting a new season uh, follow Jesus and he will walk with you. Everybody said the same thing. 
And it's one of those things when somebody would say to you, hey, do you follow Jesus? I'd say, yes, I do. But I don't know if I've been more asking him to follow me or if I've actually been following him most of my life. I think the central theme for my wife and I in this season is trying to figure out how do we just follow Jesus as he influences his church, not the buildings, uh, not the programs, but he's influencing his people. What would happen if the church saw ourselves as the church in the next 10,000 minutes until we met again in the name and power and the authority of Jesus? What if the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead actually lives inside of you? I mean, can you imagine what the posture of your day would be? I mean, we, we're just beginning this process of going, my goodness, what if it's actually true? I mean, how different would we see the, the calamity in our life? And I think what the joy has been coming out of my story is saying, Jesus, I'm done trying to be this great guy who's making all these things happen and telling you where to go. But Jesus, where are you on the move? Where are you at in my neighborhood? Where are you at in my cancer story? Uh, I have so many friends that are going through divorces right now, different illness, different people are dying in their stories. There's just something, there's some kind of pain and there's some kind of sorrow. We all have it. And if you're not going through it this week, wait a week, my dad always says it's coming. So what do we do? Is God actually God or is he not? Is he good or is he not? And then what's your response? What's my response to him? In this season, Jesus has commissioned me to invite the church to be beautiful, to invite believers about Jesus to become followers of Jesus through my story. So I wrote this song called Starts With Me that really is the first single on this record that's saying instead of me saying, hey, what can I do for you, Jesus? Let's start a revival. He's just saying, Tim, I just want to be with you. I actually want to start a revival in you first. And then I'll do cool things outside. What if, what if I'm big enough to do that? So we're saying, Jesus, lead on, I will follow. Your love stirs my soul. Take us where you want to go. Jesus, lead on. It's your revolution. So uh, I don't want us to look back at the end of our lives or one day when a doctor walks in and says, you've got incurable cancer. And then you start living like you might die. Because guess what? You're going to die. It's no secret. The fact of the matter is, it's so sad that it takes validation for a cancer diagnosis or a terminal illness for us to realize that each and every moment is a gift. That every meal and every breath and, and everything that we do is something that matters, and it just matters simply because it should matter. And it's so sad that it, it takes validation for us to understand what we already possess from Jesus Christ. Because as I said, I believe that we are born with the ability to love and show compassion, to seek joy, to, to love our neighbor. But I believe that it is us that teaches our children otherwise. We blind their eyes with negativity. The world teaches our daughters that they're not beautiful because they're not photoshopped. The world teaches our sons that they're homosexuals because they don't act like menly men. The world teaches our kids that they can go to school and judge themselves by one another and that somehow that makes them better than other people. But I teach my children every day, you are not better than any other person in this world and no person is better than you. 
We don't somehow possess superiority over anyone. We are all creations of Christ. We are all sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And if you can't begin to learn the beauty of what it means to look at a person and love them past their faults just simply because of the fact that God loves them, then there's not much I can tell you today. There's not much I can tell you, but I will tell you that 10, 15 years from now, if the Lord wills for you to live that long, you will look back in the moments that you didn't show love, the moments that you didn't show compassion, the moments that you didn't step up and be the missionary right here at Beersheba or right there in your neighborhood, those are going to be the moments that you're going to regret. And one day you're going to look in the mirror and wonder, how can I love myself? Because you can't love others until you love yourself. But let me tell you something. John Michael Hinton told us this week. He said he was in the mirror and he was just about cussing himself out because he was redheaded and his kids were redheaded and it was all this stuff surrounding this stuff. And the struggles that come along with that. I mean, it's a tough life for a ginger. I mean, it is. I've never been there, but I feel for you guys, for real. Like, no hair care products work for you guys. So, but I got to wrap this up because we're already way over. But, um... We, uh, but what I'm saying, though, simply is, is that he sat there and his wife had made this shirt. He's made this shirt for him to sell at his shows. And he looks down and the shirt says, I am a masterpiece. And he just looked at himself and he just swallowed every emotion that he had in that moment. And I can only imagine what it must be like for us to finally look at people for the beauty that they are. And then when we hold our hands out, we don't let the color of our skin separate us. I wonder how something so simple could ever draw men apart. I spent the whole week with a man that is an African-American man, and the only time I thought about him being African-American was when I prepared this sermon for you guys to share that little nugget with you. Because Jesus called me to look at the beauty that Jesus saw in him as Jesus laid upon the cross. He didn't call me to look at the color of his skin or the problems on his face or the differences that separate us. He called for me to look at what we have in common. Because, see, you are born with the ability to love. You are born with the ability to show compassion. You are born with the ability to follow the greatest commandments that Jesus set out for us. It is your point and effort to choose whether you will forgive, love, seek joy, and happiness. Because when you get to the end of your life, when you stand before God, I utterly and completely believe this, that the relationships that we have with people and the people that just pass us by at Subway and McDonald's and the interactions that we had that seemed meaningless at the time, Jesus is going to wonder how we handled those relationships. He told us to feed his sheep. He told to forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. He told us to love our neighbor. He told us to love our enemies. It doesn't seem like it's that hard to figure out. And the next time that you feel angry, you feel discouraged, the next time that you feel like it, I want you to remember this. That when you look upon someone and you see maybe they have a, a disfigurement on their face, or maybe they're missing an arm, or maybe they had something horrific happen to them in their life, I want you to look at them and say, that's somebody's aunt, that's somebody's uncle. That's somebody's brother, that's somebody's sister, that's somebody's mom, that's somebody's dad. And if they don't matter to you, you better believe they matter to somebody. And the next time that you feel like getting ugly or rude with somebody and the next time that you feel like doing something out of place or out of line with that customer service agent over the phone, 
Remember that someone loved them enough to die for them. And if that's not enough, remember that that someone who loved them enough to die for them is the same person that you claim to follow. I'm here today basically to tell you this. The way you make your life count, the way you make your life last, and the way you leave a lasting impression, a lasting legacy, is you love others the way that Christ has loved us. Because even in that person's deepest, darkest, dirtiest hour, Christ deemed them worthy, as he did for you. And they matter to him. And he sent his only son, only one, to die a criminal's death upon a cross. They matter. And God has put you in this world at this time, at this place, for divine reason and divine purpose. Nothing else more than to love, to be loved, to give, to receive. He's basically asking you, as the Holy Spirit lives in you, people will know that you are mine by the way that you love them. When you're out and about, I would love if worship grew so numerically that we couldn't even fit everybody in here. But the thing I would love more is that if I walked around Columbus and it was always people from Bersheba that were making this such an example in people's lives. And the kids in the school, so on and so forth. Just hold the door for people. Say please, say thank you. It's simple. Love others as Christ has loved you. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you for what you have given us and the word that you have allowed us to hear. We pray now, God, that we will take what you have given to us, that you will share with us uh, in our week, and give us the opportunities, God, to show the love that you have shown for us, God. And I pray that we will be the disciples and that we will be known by the love that you have given us and because we possess that love. And it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.